Hey there, welcome back to Stories from the Mortuary. I'm Alani Santiago, here to administer your daily dose of death. I hope you're all having a lovely new year so far. Thank you so much for your patience with this episode. I do want to remind you all that episodes are going to be released bi-weekly since I'm starting classes soon. This semester, I'll be taking funeral directing and funeral home management, so I'll be able to share some fun facts that I learn on Instagram at storiesftmortuary. And if you'd like to donate to the show and listen to episodes early, visit patreon.com slash stories from the mortuary, or visit the link in the show notes where you can also find all the sources for this episode. Primary sources are articles by S.A. Osborne and Kazumitsu Ono. Today's story has nearly a dozen key players, so pay close attention as we hear the horrifying tale of the mind control murders. I want to give a trigger warning for sexual assault and a general warning about gruesome details. But first, I do need your help finding another missing indigenous woman. Ella Mae Begay was last seen at her home in Sweetwater, Arizona on June 15, 2021. She lived alone in a rural area 10 miles off the highway, and one of her daughters lived about 50 yards away. She had recently installed solar panels on her house, and this was her only source of electricity. She was noted in the community as an accomplished weaver of traditional Navajo rugs. Ella's truck was last seen pulling away from her home about 2.30 a.m. She's described as a cautious person, and it's uncharacteristic of her to leave home in the middle of the night. She's never been heard from again, and the door to her home was discovered to have been kicked open. Her daughter reported her missing at 10.55 a.m. that same day. Her silver 2005 Ford F-150 pickup truck with the Arizona license plate number AFE-7101 disappeared with her and has not been found. Investigators believe Begay was the victim of foul play, and her case is being investigated as a homicide. A person of interest, Preston Tolth, was arrested on June 17th on unrelated charges of battery to a family member and was questioned about Ella's disappearance after his arrest. No charges have been filed in Ella's case, however. Ella was born July 21, 1948, and was 62 years old at the time of her disappearance. She has brown hair, brown eyes, wears glasses, and her ears are double-pierced. She's 5 feet tall and weighs 120 pounds. If you have any information regarding her disappearance, please call the Navajo Nation Police Department Shiprock District at 505-368-1350. Fatoshi Matsunaga was born April 28, 1961, in Kyushu, Japan. His father owned a tatami shop, and he was part of a wealthy family. Tatami is the straw mat that's used as flooring in Japanese homes. He was part of the student council and class president, but despite his status, his classmates and teachers distrusted him because he was known to be a liar. One of his classmates in an interview mentioned, quote, he said he won the speech contest, but I don't remember that. He also pushed out the captain of the club activities because he wanted to be captain. He wasn't a team player and was quite strange. In high school, he was transferred to a male-only school for living with and having inappropriate relations with a younger girl. After graduation, he took over his father's business and switched it over to a futon selling business and began using fraudulent selling practices to make sales. He married a woman when he was 19 and they had a son, but they later divorced. His ex-wife cited the escalating violence she had to endure for why she left him. He was known to be intelligent with a wide vocabulary, and on the surface, he was quite polite. 
To people more familiar with him, however, he was jealous, sadistic, and full of anger, a compulsive liar with a self-centered, attention-seeking streak. In his earlier years, he had been diagnosed with disinhibited social engagement disorder. Disinhibited social engagement disorder is one of two childhood attachment disorders that may develop when a child lacks appropriate nurturing and affection from parents for any number of reasons. As a result of these unfulfilled needs, the child is not closely bonded to parents and is as comfortable with strangers as they are with their primary caregivers. Disinhibited social engagement disorder, DSED, is also known as disinhibited attachment disorder. According to the DSM-5, symptoms of disinhibited social engagement disorder in children may include no fear of adult strangers, no shyness when meeting new people for the first time, behavior that's overly friendly or talkative to strangers, hugging or cuddling of unknown adults, no hesitation around strangers, even when departing with an unfamiliar person, and not looking to parents or primary caregivers for permission to approach strangers. Symptoms may continue into the teenage years, but the condition is not known to last into adulthood. Despite this condition not continuing as he became an adult, Fatoshi was still deeply troubled and had delusions of grandeur. He specifically had religious delusions, occasionally stating to others that he was the messiah. At one point, he came to realize that a prospective bulk futon buyer wasn't coming through with their payment, so he took several of his subordinates to their office. There, they berated him until Fatoshi suddenly stood up and started yelling that there were evil spirits behind the man that were threatening to take his soul. When Fatoshi asked the man if there had been any problems in his life recently, the man admitted that he had been unable to buy the futons from him due to his own company failing. Fatoshi then told him that he should come work for his company, and drove him to a small, run-down building behind the main office, where other men were being held. They lived there for the next two years while being forced to work for Futoshi, constantly told that they would face God's ire if they tried to escape. They would regularly be beaten, humiliated, and administered electric shocks. Given so little to eat, they became emaciated. Their earnings were regularly used for Futoshi and those close to him to have nights out in town, where he often held extravagant parties. He was equally despicable in his personal relationships as he was in business ones. While being married, he was also known to have up to 10 mistresses and was even part of many marriage scams in order to extort money from women. Fatoshi would tell grandiose stories about his background when asked, particularly by women he was scamming or was genuinely interested in. At one point, he had told a girl he liked that he was in a band, purely because of her interest in folk music. He ended up half-convincing, half-threatening his business subordinates to start a band with him, investing thousands of dollars into buying professional-grade instruments and holding mandatory practice sessions at the office. When the keyboardist told him that his singing was getting off-key, he attacked him, yelling that all they had to do was follow along with his vocals, which were perfect. Eventually, they had a concert in a massive hall that they rented out, which was disastrous, as to be expected, but he kept up the ruse for some time until he lost interest in the girl. At the concert were his pregnant wife, along with Junko Ogata, an old acquaintance from high school. Junko Ogata was a kindergarten teacher in 1982, and happened to reconnect with her former classmate Futoshi one day. One of her students got lightly injured while playing, and his father, a gang member, had threatened her and the kindergarten. Junko decided to contact Fatoshi and ask for help, which he gladly provided. 
The threats soon stopped, and they started dating, despite the fact that Futoshi was still married at the time. Junko, born February 25, 1962, was always known as a quiet and hardworking type, without much dating experience. Her father was a farmer and well-known in her town as a member of the town council. She grew up in a strict and conservative household and was known to be obedient and follow rules and guidelines strictly. She was punctual, never had any relationships with boys in her school days, and was serious about her studies in life. She studied childhood education and became a kindergarten teacher after graduating from junior college. The principal of the school where she taught recalled that she was a polite young lady who enjoyed being with kids. She really tried her hardest and, until the start of 1985, was never late or called in sick. Junko reconnected with Futoshi in 1980 when he called her up and they met. Futoshi told her he was interested in marrying her. Junko had no interest in him, and when Futoshi forcefully kissed her when he was driving home, she pushed him away. But despite that, she agreed to meet Futoshi again. The next time they met, he took her to a love hotel and started their physical relationship at that point. They were dating despite Futoshi having a wife and a child. When he finally met Junko's family in 1984, he was polite and seemed like an upstanding young man to her parents. Junko had always been known to love children, and eventually bore two sons by Futoshi, whom she had always protected from him, and was inspired by to keep surviving. Futoshi was kind at first to Junko, but started being abusive towards her when she told him about her past relationship. He made Junko bring him an old diary of hers and beat her while interrogating her about her experience with men, and in the end, marked her as his property by burning her with a lit cigarette on her right breast and forcing her to get his name tattooed on her right thigh. He then made her cut off contact with all of her male friends. On Christmas Eve 1982, while Futoshi's wife was pregnant with his child, he held a party and invited many guests, including women he was sleeping with. Junko was also a guest. His wife knew of his affairs and was a victim of his physical and verbal attacks. She had wanted to run away from him, but because she was expecting a child, she couldn't escape. Instead, once Junko and Futoshi came closer, Futoshi would often assault both his wife and Junko at the same time. His wife would be angered and fight back, but Junko always took the beatings in silence. Then, in 1985, Junko moved in with Futoshi, who was still married. Futoshi and Junko were on the police's radar as their business had racked up much debt, been involved in various violations, and was under investigation. In an incident that Futoshi's ex-wife recalls, when Futoshi was assaulting Junko, he told her to lick mayonnaise off the floor. His wife told him to stop because their child was in the room watching, but Junko bent down and licked it off the floor as she'd been told. Incidents of violence increased until Futoshi's wife couldn't take it anymore and ran away with their child and went to the police to file a report. Futoshi searched for her, but wasn't able to locate her or his son. She filed divorce papers, and the couple divorced a few months later. The beatings continued, and weakened from the physical and emotional stress, Junko passed out at her kindergarten classroom and eventually attempted suicide at her parents' home. This angered Futoshi and made the beatings worse, and he made Junko quit her job teaching kindergarten. He also took nude pictures of Junko that he had threatened to release to the public. Shizumi, Junko's mother, was increasingly worried for her daughter, and was unsure if Futoshi was actually willing to follow through on divorcing his wife, as he said, and marrying Junko. Futoshi told Shizumi that they should meet privately to discuss matters, but then brought her to a hotel and raped her. 
They then continued to meet and have sexual relations, presumably consensually. This caused Junko to become distant from her mother. Pressure was placed on Reiko, Junko's sister, to take over the family business since Junko was with Futoshi and they had no intentions to help. She entered into an arranged marriage with an agricultural worker, Kazuya, by 1986. During that time, Futoshi and Junko had been leaving threatening voicemails to relatives, angered that the family inheritance was going to Reiko instead of them. Junko began to work at Futoshi's company and started to run the business along with him, dealing in fraudulent activities such as opening credit cards in friends' and family's names and racking up charges, then yelling at them and threatening them when they discovered the debts. Junko surprised everyone around her by the complete change in her character, from being quiet and kind to becoming hysterical and full of rage. Futoshi's own rage and attempt to control people was increasing as was his torture methods. He built a soundproof room in the third floor of his futon company's building where he would electrically shock employees. This was the same futon company where Futoshi engaged in fraud and blackmail, stealing 180 million yen. Employees told police that they were abused if they didn't follow Futoshi's orders. Employees were encouraged to abuse or torture other employees and conduct fraud such as selling low-quality futons at extremely high prices and conduct unlawful business practices. Eventually, the company went bankrupt, and the pair, along with one other male worker, went on the run from the police. The statute of limitations on the fraud charges passed in July of 1999, but plenty of horrors took place even before the couple were on Japan's most wanted list. In 1993, Futoshi picked up yet another former classmate, who was married at the time. He played his usual ruse in pretending that Junko was his sister. Futoshi promised the woman that he would marry her, so she divorced her husband and left two of her three children with him and her parents, bringing along her infant daughter. She began to ask for money from her ex-husband and parents and cut off contact with them once they stopped doing so. Later that year, her one-year-old daughter died under suspicious circumstances through blunt force trauma to the head, and in 1994, the mother completed suicide by drowning. Futoshi later testified that though he had tortured the mother, he had nothing to do with the infant's death. Fumio Toraya, a friend of Futoshi's, worked for a real estate firm. Futoshi used this connection to stay in multiple residences to commit his later crimes. He gained Kumio's trust enough so that Kumio would start speaking about some of his own criminal misdeeds, which Futoshi then used to blackmail him into doing his bidding. He stripped him of his wig and made him write false confessions about how he sexually abused his own daughter and stole money from his company, making him feel like he was unable to escape his situation. Kumio's daughter, who is unnamed but referred to as Girl A, was there to witness what happened to her father during this time. Kumio and his daughter were forced to sleep on a slatted floor at the entrance of the house. This continued from around February 1995 until around the summer of the same year. Around the summer of 1995, Futoshi ordered Kumio and his daughter to sleep in a wooden box. After that, Futoshi didn't allow them to sleep on futons. The box had a lid and was locked from the outside when they were sleeping. Futoshi also forbade them from tossing and turning inside the box. He once electrified Kumio's legs while he was asleep, saying that his snoring was too loud. After that incident, Futoshi ordered Kumio and his daughter to sleep in their underwear in the bathroom. They were forced to sleep on the drain boards and magazines in the washroom. Futoshi only lent blankets on rare occasions and usually forced them to sleep on about five sheets of newspaper. 
This condition was maintained even in the middle of winter, and there were no heaters other than the heat produced from the futon dryer. This didn't help much, however, as it only raised the temperature in the room by a few degrees. The times at which Kumio and his daughter went to bed and woke up was determined by Futoshi's mood. He didn't allow them to sleep until around 3 or 4 in the morning, and woke them up at 7 in the morning so that Kumio's daughter could go to school. Sometimes, she was sent to school without being able to sleep at all. Even on school holidays, she was only allowed to get the same amount of sleep. Futoshi made Kumio stand in the bathroom while his daughter was getting ready for school, and when she came home from school, Kumio was made to stand in the same spot as when she left. He was more than likely forced to stand in the same spot all day. On her days off from school, she was also forced to stand all day next to her father. While his daughter bathed, Kumio had to stand in the kitchen. Naturally, after standing for long periods of time, Kumio's legs became so swollen that he couldn't bend them. One day, Futoshi ordered Kumio to his knees. He couldn't actually kneel, of course, because of the severity of the swelling. Futoshi then stomped on Kumio's thighs, but his legs still wouldn't bend, and he simply fell down. Kumio and his daughter couldn't even find the simple comfort of a good meal, as their diet and mealtimes were completely at the discretion of Futoshi and his moods. They were allowed to eat once per day, but were sometimes starved for three days at a time as punishment. The food given to them was always stick ramen, with rice or udon noodles. There were no ingredients in the ramen. The white rice was also served with dried sardines on only a few occasions, and lard was often added as well. Other than that, Kumio and his daughter were never given side dishes such as meat, vegetables, or fish. They couldn't even drink water freely, and they could only drink it when Futoshi instructed them to do so. Because of this, Kumio's daughter made sure to eat all of her lunch at school, and even competed to eat the portion of those who were absent. Even so, she was delayed in growth and offered suffered from anemia. Their meal times were limited between 1 and 3 in the morning. There was also a time limit for eating, which ranged between 10 to 15 minutes. If they didn't finish eating within the time limit, Futoshi added punishment such as electric shocks. Futoshi attached electrifying clips to Kumio's chin and both ears while he was eating, and once the time limit had passed, he shocked him. Because of that, Kumio vomited the food, but Futoshi made him eat it again and added electricity because he vomited. The effects of electric shock on the human body depend on the current that flows, the amperage, rather than on the force of the current, or voltage. The electrical resistance of the human body is variable and may in fact alter considerably during the passage of an electric shock. Another important consideration is the path that the current takes through the body, as this determines which organs may be affected. An electric shock may directly cause death in three ways. Paralysis of the breathing center of the brain, paralysis of the heart, or ventricular fibrillation, which is uncontrolled, extremely rapid twitching of the heart muscle. It's generally believed that ventricular fibrillation is the most common cause of death in electric shock. In addition to the physical torture, Futoshi was in control of every aspect of Kumio's life, including when he could go to the bathroom. He forced Kumio to urinate in a plastic bottle in the bathroom from the end of December of 1995 when he began to sleep in the bathroom until Kumio died. In addition, Futoshi restricted Kumio's defecation to once a day starting around the fall of the same year, and imposed sanctions if he tried to defecate more than that. 
When Futoshi made Kumio defecate into the toilet, he had to strip him completely naked, spread newspaper on the floor from the bathroom to the toilet, and set a time limit of 13 minutes to sit on the toilet seat. He was forbidden to take a crouching position and was forced to keep the door open while Junko watched him go to the toilet. Due to the severity of the torture and the bathroom restrictions, Kumio couldn't control his defecation urge and often leaked stool. Futoshi made him wear diapers several times because he was leaking feces. Whenever Kumio leaked feces, Futoshi instructed Junko to wipe off the feces on his trunks with toilet paper and then put the toilet paper into Kumio's mouth. At that time, Kumio couldn't swallow the toilet paper, so Futoshi gave him water and made him swallow it. Kumio, who had already lost the will to resist, was visibly weakened by the repetition of this kind of abuse. Additionally, Kumio had scabs all over his body and was forced to eat any that fell to the floor. Because of the constant electric shocks to his arms, they were completely swollen with his bones visible, so they had to be wrapped in bandages. Futoshi constantly took photographs of all the torture, including pictures of Junko shocking the victims, graffiti drawn over the face of Kumio, a picture of Kumio eating in front of a kitchen timer, as well as other gruesome activities. The apartment was separated by cardboard boxes laid out on the ground representing the zone where the father and daughter were allowed to walk, but most parts of the home were restricted to only the couple and their son. After two years of this torture, Kumio died on February 26, 1996, at the age of 34. Girl A, Kumio's daughter, later testified that her father never resisted until the end, even telling the then-pregnant Junko that he had hoped her baby was born healthy. Girl A also testified that Futoshi had made her participate in her father's torture, and, afterwards, the taking apart and hiding of his body. Before Kumio's death, he had forced her to bite a part of his body to leave a mark, taking a photo of it and making her write a confession that she had killed her father. Around the same time, Futoshi also started having relations with a woman, Woman B, who was a friend of Kumio's. The woman was forced to give up all the money she had to Futoshi and Junko after she and her three-year-old daughter were tortured by them. In March of 1997, she managed to escape by jumping out of a window. She was placed in a mental institution, and her daughter was left in front of her ex-husband's house. As of 2002, when the later murders were discovered, she was suffering from severe PTSD and was living on disability. In 1997, after Kumio's murder, Futoshi became frustrated due to the lack of funds. He told Junko to start asking for money from her family and friends, and she reached out to them, but her requests were shot down. Eventually, she began working as a bar hostess in Yufuin, a town in a prefecture next to Fukuoka, and all but disappeared from the apartment. Futoshi then talked to Shizumi, Junko's mother, who told him everything. He told Shizumi, her husband and Junko's father, Takashigi, and Reiko, Junko's younger sister, to come to their apartment. At that point, they apparently were aware of Kumio's murder and came out of coercion from Futoshi with the idea that the murder could leak to the outside world if they couldn't get Junko to come back. He got three acquaintances who knew Junko to pretend that Futoshi had completed suicide. They then held a fake funeral for Futoshi to lure Junko back to them. The plan unfortunately worked, and Junko was captured. He punished her for her escape and brought her back to the apartment. But... Junko wouldn't be the only one to receive punishment. Her family would as well. 
They all started living at the apartment after a period where they were commuting from their own home almost daily, over coercion by Futoshi. He had used alcohol to gain the family's trust, hearing from each person about the other members' faults and failings, and using them against each other, eroding their relationships with each other. He would get them drunk, talk about family relationships, suggest her parents get a divorce, talk of divorcing Junko, then ask for large sums of cash to stay married to Junko and not tell the police about her crimes. Futoshi was able to get all three members of Junko's family to give him money. They would work in the day and come to his place at night. They were so sleep-deprived that Junko's mother even had a car accident. But they would return each night, be made to drink, and argue about their family issues. Once Junko's family weren't able to get more money, he started torturing them and forcing them to do things for him. Her father was forced to replace the pipes where Kumio's murder had taken place, making him liable for the destruction of evidence if he was to call the police on Futoshi. In addition to the manipulation and abuse, he continued a sexual relationship with Junko's mother and also started having a sexual relationship with Junko's sister. When Junko confronted him, he denied sleeping with her sister, but she knew he was lying. Despite the younger sister being married, Futoshi continued to have a relationship with her and used it to further divide Junko, her sister, and her sister's husband. Junko once again attempted to escape later on, when she was sent out to Shimunaseki, a city in a different prefecture, tasked to send a letter out from there to a woman Futoshi was seeing, whom he had told that he had lived in Shimunaseki. Girl A was sent with her to watch her. On the train home, Junko attempted to get away by running out of the train as the doors were closing, but Girl A acted quickly and ran after her. Junko then got into a taxi, but Girl A hit the windows with her fists and started yelling, prompting other people to call out to them that they were going to the police. Junko gave up at that point and got out of the taxi. As Girl A contacted Futoshi over the phone to ask for instructions, Junko once again ran and got into a train, but again, Girl A was fast and got in on the same train, telling Futoshi where they were headed. Once they got to the station, Junko saw Futoshi there and gave up completely. Later, Junko testified that she hadn't thought about escaping to get away from the situation, but to go to a forest near Mount Fuji to kill herself. Kazuya, Riko's husband, became suspicious of his wife's long absences and came back to the apartment, where he was also taken in through Futoshi's manipulations. He used to be a police officer and wasn't a blood relative, so Futoshi wanted to ensure that Kazuya wouldn't interfere. He was extremely kind to Kazuya at first. Futoshi used the things that Reiko had told him in moments of a drunken stupor, such as the fact that she had contemplated divorce from Kazuya and that she had had an abortion in the past to break him down mentally. It didn't take long for him to begin hating his wife and her parents, and Futoshi used this to his advantage. He was able to coerce Kazuya into beating Reiko and her parents. Futoshi also forced him to change the tiles in the bathroom where Kumio died, implicating him in being a murder accomplice in the same way Junko's father was. Reiko and Kazuya's two children, a 10-year-old girl and a 5-year-old boy, were brought over to the apartment soon after Kazuya started staying at the apartment. The parents stopped going to work, the kids were absent all the time from school, and they were all going to Futoshi's apartment. They started suffering from mental and physical illnesses, took out many loans which they gave to Futoshi, and could no longer afford rent on their own homes. 
Once the money started drying out, it was time to start lightening the load that was in his home. At this point, Futoshi had been able to sponge 63 million yen, or $630,000, from the family members. By November, the police, seeking out Futoshi and Junko for their fraud charges, were looking for them in their old residence in the vicinity of Takashigi and Shizumi's home. Upon realizing this, Futoshi locked the entire family in the small apartment and refused to let them out, bugging all of the rooms. From that point on, none of them were allowed to leave. Unemployment and severance money went directly to Futoshi. Futoshi blamed Junko's father, Takashigi, for not bringing in more money, notably due to the fact that he had failed in selling off his father's property because he was blocked by his other relatives from doing so. In December of 1997, he was punished through electrocution by Junko, with such severity that he fell into a coma and died. Futoshi told Junko's niece that it was her fault that her grandfather had died, because she had once told him that he should die after a fight with him. Then, Junko's family, including her 10-year-old niece, got rid of Takashiki's body. They decapitated him and dismembered his body in the bathroom with saws. The flesh was meticulously shredded with a mixer. The body parts were boiled in a pot until liquefied, and everything was disposed of in the ocean or in public toilets. Afterward, they took Christmas and birthday party photos for Junko's nephew. In January of 1998, after prolonged electrocution, Shizumi, Junko's mother, had a psychological break and began screaming incoherently. After a family meeting, some suggested that she should go to a psychiatric hospital, but Futoshi shut them down, only agreeing when Junko tentatively suggested that they should kill her, reasoning that people might find out what's happening if they hear Shizumi's screams. In the end, Junko and Reiko held Shizumi down while Kazuya strangled her with an electric cable. They disposed of her body in the same manner as Takashiki, decapitated, shredded, and boiled, disappearing with the flush of the toilet. All this time, Futoshi continued to rape or have coercive sex with Reiko several times. Though they had sexual relations in the past, when she was 14 and he was a senior in high school, this had been unknown to the rest of the family. Reiko's period had stopped around the time of Shizumi's killing, making Futoshi and Junko suspect that she was pregnant with Futoshi's child. Junko began to electrocute her frequently in the hopes that she would miscarry, and Futoshi started telling family members that she had gone crazy, as a result of Reiko becoming hard of hearing due to the repeated electrocutions. Futoshi told the family to temporarily move to the apartment where the previous killings had taken place, and while there, he made the family have a meeting to discuss what was going to happen to Reiko. After going back and forth for some time, they decided that, even if she was left alive, she would face more torture from Futoshi, so it was pointless for her to live in such a state. Kazuya volunteered himself, as Reiko's husband, to be the one to kill her. Kazuya asked his daughter to hold down her mother's ankles and to tell her goodbye. Reiko gasped out, Kazuya, am I going to die? To which Kazuya said, I'm sorry, Reiko. After Kazuya strangled Reiko to death with an electrical cord, he sobbed to the ground, saying, Finally, it has come to this. I've even killed my own wife. For some time, Kazuya himself had been suffering from gastrointestinal issues due to the constant torture. 
The symptoms got better for a while, so he was made to be Futoshi's chauffeur so he could go to visit a lover of his in another prefecture. On April 13, 1998, before leaving to drive Futoshi, Kazuya was made to eat far more food than he was used to so that he wouldn't be hungry on the long drive back. Kazuya began vomiting profusely once they got back to the apartment, and was unable to keep down any food. He was locked in the bathroom naked, and an hour after Futoshi provided him with a can of beer and an energy drink, was found dead by his daughter. His remains were dismembered and disposed of, presumably in the same manner as the others. The only adults left now were Junko and Futoshi, and Junko's niece and nephew were under the care of girl A, Kumio's daughter. By this time, the nephew was the only member of the family who hadn't helped in either the murder or disposing of the body since he was just five years old. A month after Kazuya's death, in May, Futoshi began to say that there was a possibility that the children would come back later to take revenge on them, and implied that the children should be killed as well. To that, Junko's niece begged that they be returned back home, and that they wouldn't tell anyone what happened. Eventually, Futoshi wore her down, saying, Don't you feel bad for your brother? We should take him to be with his mother. Futoshi then had Junko and her niece tell her little brother that he was going to see his mother, and then strangle him to death in the kitchen. In June, Futoshi started ramping up the torture of Junko's niece, telling Junko it would be a hassle if she was too fat, and not letting her feed her niece as much as the others. Taking that to mean that they were going to kill her niece soon, Junko told Girl A about what was going to happen. Junko told Futoshi that her niece had said she wanted to die. When Futoshi asked her niece if this was true, she nodded, lifting her head off the ground so they could wrap the cord around her neck. Girl A and Junko then proceeded to strangle her. After the death of six members of Junko's family, Futoshi was also looking for a new way to make more money, so he found a woman who he convinced to get divorced and marry him. He forced the woman to put her twin children in his care and provide child support. To make enough money to pay him, the woman ended up working at a sex shop. She gave him 25 million yen, or $25,000. Girl A managed to escape in January of 2002 to her grandparents but she couldn't escape Futoshi's influence. He made her ask for money from her grandparents and give him the earnings of her part-time job. Futoshi had been seeing girl A's aunt, who was Kumio's older sister, and she eventually told him about the exact whereabouts of girl A, whereupon Futoshi went to the property to take her away, telling her grandparents that she had been stealing from her father and Futoshi and getting into drugs. Futoshi then told him that he had to bring her back to her father, before she was dragged back to the apartment, girl A scribbled a note that read, his story is all false, please come get me, and left it in her room. Upon her return to the apartment, girl A was repeatedly electrocuted by Futoshi and Junko, and was made to write an oath in her own blood that read that she would not attempt to escape again. She was also exposed to further torture, such as being forced to rip out her big toenail in under five minutes with pliers. On March 6th of 2002, Girl A once again managed to escape to her grandfather's house, and finally, the police were alerted. On the following day, Futoshi and Junko were taken into custody. It took some time to discover their real identities due to the fact that they didn't have any real IDs or paperwork, but it all came to light via Junko's high school yearbook. 
The day after, Girl A revealed the whereabouts of the children she had been tasked to care for, the two sons of Junko and Futoshi, and the twins whom they had taken in after Futoshi had relations with their mother. They were being used to ask for money from the children's grandparents. Initially, the case was thought to be purely a kidnap and abuse case against Girl A. As she talked about her ordeal, however, more and more came to light and the horrific details of the murders became clear. Junko also worked with authorities, no longer under Futoshi's command, and confessed to all of her crimes on October 23, 2002. According to one news source, quote, Matsunaga's hideous sexual proclivities were horrifying. Matsunaga forced his common-law wife's mother to take part in a simulated rape, and he used a stun gun on the genitals of Ogata's niece, who was only a little girl, 10 years old, giving her an electric shock. When we raided Matsunaga's home, we found loads of pornographic photos and videos that he had taken. There were even photos where Matsunaga had taken pictures of naked women walking around with vibrators still inserted to themselves. Due to the lack of physical evidence, the bathrooms being meticulously cleaned with plumbing and tiles replaced, and Gurley only having witnessed some of the murders, the case moved forward, but relatively slowly. However, there is a plethora of circumstantial evidence, including the discovery of notes that the victims had written under duress by Futoshi confessing what they had done. Japan Times reported that, quote, the victims were separately murdered and their bodies dismembered and disposed of. No physical evidence of the crimes was ever found. Police investigators used both Junko's testimony, Kumio's daughter's testimony, pictures, and other evidence found in the apartments, as well as statements from neighbors complaining about putrid smells, which were likely from the decomposing bodies being boiled and dissected. With both Junko and Kumio's daughter's confessions, they were able to charge both Futoshi and Junko with murder. The trial for the murderous couple began in May of 2003 at the Fukuoka District Court. The couple was charged for the murder and confinement of seven people. Junko pleaded guilty, but Futoshi continued to plead innocent, claiming he had only abused the victims because he didn't like their attitude and didn't intend to kill them because they were his money trees. He insisted that Junko committed the murders on her own. The prosecutors asked for the death penalty for both Futoshi Matsunaga and Junko Ogata for murdering five of Ogata's relatives, including two children and the escapee's 34-year-old father. Girl A, along with the woman, B, who is a past victim of Futoshi's torture, and Kazuya's mother testified against Futoshi and Junko. On September 28, 2005, the court sentenced the couple to be executed by hanging. They were found guilty of six murders, but not for killing Kumio, as he had been injured by the electrocution, which later resulted in his death. They appealed the decision to the Fukuoka High Court, and in September of 2007, Junko's death sentence was lowered to life in prison. Reasons included the domestic violence and torture she suffered from Futoshi, because she confessed to the crimes, and she showed remorse for what she had done. Futoshi's death sentence was upheld. Futoshi appealed the decision once again, and the case was brought to the Supreme Court. His defense argued that he wasn't involved in the crimes and shouldn't get the death penalty. However, the prosecution felt he abused, assaulted, and coerced those around him to commit crimes so he wouldn't get his hands dirty. They also said he wasn't remorseful, never apologized for the crimes, and the punishment was justified. In December of 2011, the Supreme Court upheld the death sentence and his sentence was finalized. 
As of June 15, 2021, Futoshi Matsunaga was still on death row at the Fukuoka Detention Center awaiting his execution. According to his son, he became blind from diabetes and requires extra care at the facility. The twin children were returned to their mother, and Futoshi and Junko's two boys enrolled in elementary school and lived at a child welfare institution. Kumio's daughter was sent to an orphanage, but once becoming an adult, got married, and now lives with her husband and two children. In July 2003, a farewell ceremony for the six deceased members was held with photographs and an empty urn. Junko later mentioned that time in prison was, comparatively, not bad in relation to the conditions she was kept in by Futoshi, saying that she was able to have a guaranteed meal, could take baths, go to the bathroom whenever she wanted to, and was even able to read. But how exactly was Futoshi able to control so many people and keep them in his control for so long? He used a variety of tactics that weakened people and made them vulnerable to his demands. He was successfully able to divide Junko's family and have family members pitted against each other rather than against him. He abused and tortured everyone around him, even his own children, to ensure everyone was afraid of him and knew the consequences of making him angry. Futoshi controlled the movement, sleeping patterns, toilet schedule, and food intake of his victims. He would also only give them certain clothes or refuse them time to bathe or leave the home. He monitored their conversations and they weren't allowed to speak when he wasn't in the room. He blacked out or boarded up windows, added padlocks, confiscated licenses, phones, and only allowed them to carry small amounts of money. Though he may not have actually ended a life or disposed of a body with his own hands, he was the puppet master that made the entire incident play out as it did, and if Kumio's daughter hadn't escaped, he might still have continued his control on new victims. Futoshi's various but consistent methods allowed him to control his victims and make them do his bidding. Through this, he managed to kill multiple people without ever lifting a finger himself. With many of his victims, he first befriended them, over time gaining their trust, and sometimes getting them drunk so that they could reveal some sort of weakness or transgression, however small it might be. He used that to manipulate his victims so they would work against each other's interests, sometimes even growing their resentment or anger against one another. Electric shocks were administered with live wires to the hands, arms, thighs, nipples, lips, ears, and genitalia. They were so severe that often the victims would fall unconscious from the pain. Victims were shocked regularly so they could break down and eventually lose the will to survive. Victims were made to electrocute each other depending on rank, where if they refused to do Futoshi's bidding, their rank would drop and treatment would worsen against them. Because their will to band together and fight against Futoshi was broken, they were unable to work in any way against him. He would also force victims to write testimonies of murder and torture so that they'd feel like they'd have no way to escape. Sometimes they'd be made to write about crimes that they had never even committed, and over time they'd be convinced into thinking they actually had done those deeds. Futoshi controlled every aspect of his victims' lives. They were forced to wear a uniform of sorts, like sweatpants and a top, though eventually they were made to live half-naked, with the women going about with tape covering their nipples. They were made to move on all fours or with their backs to a certain wall and forced to sleep on magazines and newspapers for three to four hours a day during the day. Speaking was strictly forbidden. When the victims went to the bathroom, they were regulated, and though they were occasionally allowed to go outside, they were made to report to Futoshi exactly where they were and what they were doing at all times over the phone. 
Light wasn't allowed to enter the apartment and all doors and windows were locked. These methods broke down his victim's will to live, and as a result, most of them saw their situation as futile and fell into a state of zombie-like obedience. This phenomenon is known as learned helplessness. Passivity in a lab rat, unipolar depression, currently known as major depressive disorder, mortality in a nursing home, and abusive relationships all capture what is meant by learned helplessness. The theory behind this phenomenon is straightforward and consists of three major parts, contingency, cognition, and behavior. Contingency refers to the objective relationship between a person's action and the outcomes they then experience. The most important contingency in learned helplessness is uncontrollability, which is the random relationship between an individual's actions and outcomes. Cognition refers to the way in which the person perceives, explains, and extrapolates the contingency, which consists of several steps. First, the person has to perceive the contingency. Their perception may be that the contingency is accurate, or they may see it as something that isn't. For example, a controllable event may be perceived as uncontrollable, or vice versa. Next, the person explains what they've perceived, like a failure being caused by hard luck or stupidity. Finally, the person uses their perception and explanation to form an expectation about the future. For example, if a person experiences a failure that they believe was caused by their own stupidity, then they'll expect to fail again when they find themselves in a situation requiring intelligence. Behavior, the third aspect of learned helplessness, refers to the observable consequences of contingency or non-contingency and the person's cognitions about it. Helplessness studies measure someone's passivity versus activity. Does the individual give up and fail to initiate any actions in order to control the situation? Helplessness theory also claims that other consequences may follow as well from the individual's expectation of future helplessness, like low self-esteem, sadness, loss of aggression, immune changes, and physical illness. While there are variables in each aspect, a pure case of learned helplessness must have all three of the following components. Non-contingency between the person's actions and outcomes, the expectation that the outcome will not be contingent in the future, and passive behavior. Beyond the psychological aspect of learned helplessness, it has chemical effects on the body as well. The body's nervous system is composed of two parts, the central nervous system and the peripheral nervous system. The central nervous system is made of the brain and spinal cord, while the peripheral nervous system is made of the rest of the nerves in the body. In a healthy person, these two systems cooperate constantly to ensure the body functions properly. If the entire nervous system were an electric grid, the central nervous system would represent the powerhouse, whereas the peripheral nervous system would represent long cables that connect the powerhouse to the outlying cities, limbs, glands, and organs, to bring them electricity and send information back about their status. Unlike the brain and the spinal cord of the central nervous system that are protected by the vertebrae in the skull, the nerves and cells of the peripheral nervous system aren't enclosed by bones and therefore are more susceptible to trauma, trauma such as electrical shock. Multiple versions of the most well-known learned helplessness experiment consist of electrical shocks in dogs, though rats were sometimes used. While conducting experimental research on classical conditioning, American psychologist Martin Seligman inadvertently discovered that dogs that had received unavoidable electric shocks failed to take action in subsequent situations, 
even those in which escape or avoidance was in fact possible, whereas dogs that had not received the unavoidable shocks immediately took action in subsequent situations. The experiment was replicated with human subjects, using loud noise as opposed to electrical shocks, yielding similar results. Seligman coined the term learn helplessness to describe the expectation that outcomes are uncontrollable. Learned helplessness has since become a basic principle of behavioral theory, demonstrating that prior knowledge can result in a drastic change in behavior and seeking to explain why individuals may accept and remain passive in negative situations, despite their clear ability to change them. The first key study conducted in 1970 with rats showed that norepinephrine content of the brain was reduced following the rat's exposure to inescapable shock, but not to shock that could be avoided or escaped. This is significant because norepinephrine plays a vital role in the body's fight-or-flight response. Norepinephrine, also called noradrenaline, is both a neurotransmitter and a hormone. As a neurotransmitter, it's a chemical messenger that helps transmit nerve signals across nerve endings to another nerve cell, muscle cell, or gland cell. As a hormone, it's released by the adrenal glands, which are hat-shaped glands that sit on top of each kidney. As a neurotransmitter in the brain and spinal cord, norepinephrine increases alertness, arousal, and attention, constricts blood vessels, which helps maintain blood pressure in times of stress, and affects your sleep-wake cycle, mood, and memory. As a hormone, stress triggers the release of norepinephrine from your adrenal glands. This reaction causes a number of changes in the body and is known as the fight-or-flight response. The fight-or-flight response refers to the body's response to a stressful situation, such as needing to escape danger, moving away from a growling dog, or facing a fear. The term comes from the choice our ancestors faced when confronted with a dangerous situation, to stay in fight or run to safety. During the fight-or-flight response, the brain perceives danger. Next, nerves in the hypothalamus send a signal down to the spinal cord, then out to the body. The neurotransmitter that transmits the brain's nervous system message of what to do is norepinephrine. Norepinephrine reaches the following organs and tissues and causes multiple rapid body reactions. The pupils dilate to let more light in to better see more surroundings. Skin turns pale as blood vessels receive a signal to divert blood to areas more in need of the blood's oxygen, such as muscles for fighting or running away. The heart pumps harder and faster to deliver more oxygenated blood to areas most in need, like the muscles. Blood pressure also increases. Muscles receive more blood flow and oxygen so that they can react with greater strength and speed. Stored glycogen in the liver is converted to glucose to provide more energy. Breathing is deeper and faster. The airways open up so more oxygen is delivered to the blood, which goes to the muscles. The neurotransmitter norepinephrine also reaches the adrenal gland, which releases both epinephrine and norepinephrine. These hormones travel through the blood to all parts of the body. They reach the eyes, heart, airways, blood vessels in the skin, and the adrenal gland again. The message to these organs and tissues is to continue to react until the body is out of danger. Futoshi used electric shock to subdue and control his victims. In the process, it also lowered their norepinephrine levels, which decreased their fight-or-flight response, until they stopped resisting. Futoshi conditioned his victims into feeling utterly helpless, helpless enough to volunteer to kill each other. Seven lives, including an entire family, were lost as a direct result of Futoshi Matsunaga's masochism. Kumio Turaya, 
Girl A's father, Takashigi Ogata, Junko's father, Shizumi Ogata, Junko's mother, Reiko Ogata, Junko's sister, Kazuyo Ogata, Reiko's husband, Yuki Ogata, Junko's nephew, and Aya Ogata, Junko's niece. None of their remains were ever recovered. Thank you so much for listening, and stay tuned for the next story from the mortuary.